if he's called you, he's going to give you the tools to get the job done. If God's called you, then he's anointed you. If God's called you, then he has faith in you to do the job. And you can rest in the calling that if there are doors that the Lord's opening up for you, just walk through those doors. Be faithful in whatever God's opened up for you, whether it's a pulpit ministry, whether it's behind the scenes ministry, whatever it might be. If God's opening a door for you, when you walk through that door, that's the door that God's called you to. He's giving you everything you need to get the job done. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are joined by a good friend of mine that is sure to be a blessing to you. Jacob Catabiano is the pastor of Grace Point Pentecostal Church on the Gold Coast in Queensland. He is a passionate preacher of the gospel that has ministered in countries all over the world, including Pakistan, Botswana, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, and many more. I always enjoy chatting with him about the things of God, and I know you will get a lot out of this conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me, bro. Well, thanks for having us. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you taking out uh, time in your day set it aside to have this conversation and I'm sure the uh, listeners are looking forward to learning more about uh, Jacob Caltabiano. I've been listening to the podcast and really these have been fantastic and really have been helping us here myself personally just going over the church systems recently and so to be actually on this podcast and being interviewed it's, it really is a privilege and I thank you for it. Oh, yeah that's that's awesome that's awesome to hear great feedback. Well, you're currently just celebrating life at the moment. You're a New South Welshman living in Queensland, having won the state of origin, celebrating a, another year, beating down the dirty Queenslanders. And also, you took out, you, you ruined the party, you spoiled the party, you Italians, you ruined the, the Euro soccer. <laughs> We're still celebrating. <laughs> Everyone was ready to bring it home and, and you guys just brought it to Rome, so... Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah well i know you're a sports tragic most people may or may not know that but if we could start out by you just giving us a bit of background about yourself you know kind of where you grew up and where you come from yep so okay i grew up in sydney my parents were migrants my, my mom came from germany father came from italy and they met here in australia and so they met in Sydney, been there all their life since leaving Europe. And so I'm the youngest of five boys. I've got four older brothers and uh, no sisters. And uh, I'm married with two sons. So <laughs> pray for grandkids, uh, granddaughters one day. But I, as I said, uh, I'm the youngest of five boys. Growing up in Sydney, we grew up in the Stratford Campsie area. So we moved in the Campsie from Stratford in the uh, early 80s and then later on in Lakemba. For those that are from Sydney, you'd be familiar with those areas. Growing up, we had our struggles. Life had its struggles. My father, growing up, had an issue with gambling. Again, I was born into a family where my dad had a gambling addiction that he couldn't control. And because of that, he, it made life difficult for my mum and for my four brothers. He also worked at illegal gambling venues as a doorman. So his whole life was surrounded by... You know, other Italian migrants meeting together in Leichhardt and running all these illegal gambling places, other things that went right. 
because of his gambling problem, he had a short fuse, a bad temper, and as a family, we didn't have much money. So we, we had our struggles. I'm blessed that during all that time, my mum's always been a believer. Mm. Uh, at that stage, I was going to an Italian of God church, and even though my mum's German, she speaks Italian as well. She, she reads and writes it. And so on one side of my life, we had my dad's influence that wasn't the best, you know. And then we had my mum, who was a very godly woman, still is, who, you know, was the rock of our family. And during those tough years where there was not much money coming in, I mean, she could make a feast out of nothing. She, she really, <laughs> she was our rock growing up because she, she made life worth living in an unstable house. Growing up, I had my hobbies. I loved rugby league from a young age. As far as I can remember, I loved rugby league. Growing up in the early 80s, for those that know the good old 80s, was the decade of the Parramatta Eels. We won That's several right. premierships that year. And those were my earliest memories of rugby league. <laughs> so for a young child that was, you know, you had your, your issues growing up, but you had your place to escape. Mm. And so rugby league, I love listening to it. I love watching it. And I loved playing it, although I was a skinny little kid that wasn't really that good. I also loved fishing. <laughs> My dad was a, apart from the gambling side of things, he loved his fishing. My grandfather actually had a fishing business over in Sicily, put it into his kids. So here in Australia, my dad put a love of fishing into my life. I love mm. fishing still to this day. But I also love snorkeling. Uh, so rugby league, fishing and snorkeling were the things that I love to do. Uh, I found that snorkeling was that, that place. I remember from the age of four or five years old, you put your snorkels on, you'd have a hand spear. But once you were under the water, life was peaceful. Wow. It was my therapy. <laughs> mm. It was quiet. There was screaming there was no violence there was no chaos i suppose it was just mm. peaceful for me as a kid and, and 46 years old later on this year i still love i love snorkeling mm. so born and raised in in sydney obviously you at some point made your way to the old church in belmore um mm-hmm. your family so did your mom actually take you to the Assemblies of God Church before you guys came to the Belmore Church? Uh, no, actually, believe it or not, my dad would take us. Uh, sometimes he would stay. Sometimes he would drop us off. Uh, my grandparents were there. My auntie was there. And so my dad would take us there, but he was never committed mm. uh, in my life. Anyhow, he was never committed. He would go to the Italian church because he understood it. His English was very poor. He couldn't read English besides the TAB guide. And uh, so he would take us there. Sometimes he would stay and sometimes he wouldn't. It was all in Italian and I don't, I don't speak Italian. I understand the Sicilian dialect uh, or parts of it anyhow, but right. not enough to have memory of what was going on there. My mum was my first Sunday school teacher and she spoke to us in English during Sunday school. And uh, I thank God that my mum was my first Sunday school teacher. That's a memory mm. I'll always. So how did you, how did, was it your mom or your dad that ended up finding out about the church in Belmore? It was actually my dad. I mean, he, he was a hypocrite to put it honestly, because you know, he'd come take us to church after coming out from the clubs of Leichhardt gambling all night, but take us to church anyhow. This church was more cultural, cultural than it was spiritual. If I can be really honest, lovely people, but it was more the Sicilian culture than it had anything to do. Oh, God was there, obviously. And they were, they were spirit-filled. I found it out later because I didn't know, you know, were they speaking in tongues or Italian? <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> so, 
But there was some, the people there started threatening the pastor over certain issues and there was a big split. And, you know, my dad wasn't really committed to church, but I do remember a time when my dad stood up for that pastor. I mean, physically, hands not lifted in worship. And my dad was also a boxer. He had to defend himself. So that church split. And then from there, my father, after a year or two of just house meetings, he said, enough of all of this. He started taking us to other churches, again, dropping us off, English-speaking churches. And then one day he said, no, um, he wanted to leave and take us to another church. And I believe it was in the Belmore region, but it wasn't the UBC church. But he kept driving past the Belmore UBC church and couldn't find the one he was looking for. Remember, the 80s, there was no apps on your mobile phone. Right, yeah. <laughs> we didn't, actually didn't even have one. He was <laughs> the, the, the directory, and my dad didn't read English. So he got frustrated. So he stopped at the UBC church. He says, we're going to go into this church. And Pastor Slack was our pastor, then was overseas. But the preacher that preached the word of God that day, he spoke the word of God straight into my dad's heart. And remember, his English was poor. Hmm. And said so an Australian man preaching was a lot harder for my dad to understand. All his workmates, all his gambling friends, the church he just brought us out of, it was all in Italian. So we go into the UBC church of Belmore, and the man of God's preaching, and it just went straight into my parents, straight into my dad's heart. It was like God spoke straight to him. And later on, he, he would testify that it's, it's like he knew my life. How did this man know me? He was wow. speaking straight into me. That, that was back in 1984. And so then you they, were, how old were you at that time? I was eight years old. Eight. Okay. Eight years old. And it was then that they began to explain uh, Jesus' name, baptism. And there was an Italian, a Sicilian family in the church as well which was good for my dad because uh, they were very kind to him, uh, the Tripolonis. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, they were very kind to him, very good with him. And then my dad's a simple man as well, not educated, but they explained Jesus' name, baptism. Now, my mom never wanted to leave the AOG church because she was set there. That was her peace. I mean, life was tough for my mom. Yeah. That was all she had really to look forward to in life was to go to church. And so she didn't really want to leave, but she had no choice. But once... They, it was explained to them about Jesus' name, baptism. They took to it straight away, and they understood it straight away. I mean, surprising for me was my dad straight away understood the oneness of God, and he's not an educated man, and he can't read English. Right. And so it was God that led us there, it, without a doubt. Of God course. led us to that church in Belmore, and it was only about 80 people back then, and there was two churches in Sydney, and that was the large one. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So you were attending there from eight years old, going through Sunday school into youth. At what point did you feel a call to ministry? Because I've heard whispers of what uh, you and some of your brothers were like as teenagers. And given a bit of the background of what you shared with the family, you can uh, completely understand why you boys were the way you were. But at some point, you became serious with God to the point where you felt a call to minister the gospel, not just, you know, be in service to help others, as we all should in, in, in the body of Christ, but actually to preach the gospel. When did you um, move in that direction? Okay. So we were in the church in 1984. The following year, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I was nine years old. And then when I was 10, I got baptized. Those early days in Belmore, that's where I can honestly say, brother, that I felt God's presence for the first time in my life. Because life was a little bit, you know, disjointed chaotic call it what you like and my dad needed a few years to really come good because he had his temper issues and what have you 
in those early years, I can honestly say, I mean, I would walk to school singing the songs that they'd sing at church because they got a hold of me. But because there were issues, to be honest with you, when I hit my early teenage years, 12, 13, you know, I was a little bit bitter, if I can say that, you know, very mm. bitter, really. And so even though I was forced to church or had to go to church because if your parents took you to church, you went. There was no option, but I was bitter. And so during those teenage years, I fell away. And because life was still a little bit chaotic, my dad was a changed man, but every now and then some of those habits of his would come up, not gambling, mm. just his tempo and vibe. So we we fell away at the age of, we, we came to church, but we disconnected, doing a lot of silly things. My brothers weren't the best influences, you know, fast forwarding it to today, several have been in and out of jail several times. And I know that's a direct link to their upbringing. So when I was at the age of 15, I went to a youth camp and I wanted to impress a girl. So I got drunk. That really impressed a girl, right? Yeah. Bombing all over the place. I'm yeah. an absolute fool of myself. To be honest with you, I vowed I'll never go to a youth camp again in my life. I was humiliated. But what I didn't do was stop drinking. It was the first time in my life I'd been drunk. And even though I made a fool of myself from 16, 17 and 18, that was what I was doing a lot at school was drinking. I, I unfortunately ruined my education drunk too much at school and then when I left school that's what I was doing most nights after school after work I was working in a fruit shop with a family from the church mm. and I would go up and I'd have my 20 30 dollars worth of beer and play my poker machines gambling some that I vowed I'd never do never got addicted but I'd play it nearly every day mm. and then I'd start coming and thinking school's over this isn't life what am I doing you know my mum again still that rock in my life and such a great godly example. And I'm, why am I fighting this? And I knew I was still bitter towards my dad, not my mum. Anyhow, there was a few, there came a time at 18 years old where I'd, I'd come home three, four in the morning on the weekends, drinking all night. God started speaking to my, in my bedroom. And I'm like, this might not sound normal to some. It wasn't when I was born again that I felt the call of God. It was when I was backslidden. Wow. And I remember some times there, uh, Greg, it was amazing. I'll, I've never forgotten them and I never will. There was a time I stood in my bedroom because I felt I came home at four in the morning. It was a Saturday night. I was wasted, but I felt the presence of God. Remember in that Belmore church, man, I felt the presence of God. Mm. It was that joy and peace I felt in that service, in that church, sorry. I was feeling in my bedroom and I remember literally speaking out in my bedroom and I started pointing to where the church was, which was a 20 minute walk. And I said, God, leave me alone. I'm not good. I'm undone. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an embarrassment to my family. I can't stop drinking and leave me alone and go to those people in the church. Stop, stop your presence in my life because it was happening for a few weeks and it was a powerful presence of God. And then I remember going to sleep one night and, and it was the most amazing dream that I ever had in my life. And it didn't come to pass straight away. But in that dream, God, it was the Lord showing me a few things. And in that dream, believe it or not, he showed me, Annette, who's now my wife. And, you know, I had no desire for Annette or any girl in church, you know. They were good girls. I, yeah, I had yeah. no desire to be part of that. But I remember there was a feeling, no voice spoken, where I just knew that it was the Lord speaking to me, saying to me that he wanted to use, he wanted to bless me with this woman, teenager at, a at that time, and that he had a plan for my life and that he wanted to use us together. I woke up crying, not because I was drunk and depressed, because I knew that was God speaking to me, and I couldn't deny it. Mm. Again, I was backslidden, I was drunk, and God gave me 
clear plan, not as to what he wanted to use me with, but he was calling me to something. So that Sunday morning, I went to church, hung over like you wouldn't believe, and they announced the youth camp. I hadn't been to a youth camp for three years because the last one, I was humiliated, and I humiliated myself. The church did nothing against me. It was myself. And here I am waking up from being drinking, you know, drunk the night before, still a bit, what have you. And I'm in church and I heard them talk about youth camp and my pride said, you humiliated yourself last time. Anyhow, I decide, you know what? I'm going to go to this youth camp. And from then to when the youth camp took place, which was only a couple of weeks, I was probably on the last to register. There was a battle raging about going to this youth camp. And so I said to myself, and I said this in prayer, I said, God, if this is real, this is my ultimatum to God. If you change me, I'm going to live for you for them. For whatever you want, I want to live for you. But if nothing happens, I'm packing up and I'm moving out of home and I'm never going to step foot in this church ever again. Mm. So I went to the youth camp and you can't go to a Pentecostal youth camp. <laughs> One thing I learned very early without a move of God. <laughs> and so God was moving in a powerful way at that youth camp. And, the, and I was confused. I was, you know, I had issues. I mean, it, it only been three, four years before that I saw my mom get a, you know, hit before church. So I was still bitter and twisted. And so I couldn't handle the presence of God. I walked up to the pub at Kuma. Nobody knew. I went down there by myself and had some drinks. And I came back and I thought to myself, what are you doing? This is what you did at the last youth camp to impress somebody. That failed three years ago. Now you're out there trying to mend your, heal your wounds. But it's happening inside of the presence of God. And so I'm sitting outside the building. I said, it's, and I've shared this before to people, but I've got to get in there and make my life right with God. This is it. Saturday night. I can't live like this. So I get up to walk inside the church. So I've walked back from this, this pub down in Kuma, sat outside the building, witnessed the move of God. I'm having this battle in my mind. I get up and I'm going inside the church. This is it. And of course, they were closing off in prayer. Yeah. And that's, it's like, are you kidding me? It's like I've played around with something that's so real because of my own hurts. And now I've missed my opportunity. Greg, I cried. I was outside. Nobody saw me. I'm behind those glass windows, those glass doors. They're all crying at the front. Now they're standing ready to put their Pentecost on. I'm outside crying. And I prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord, you'll give me one more chance. The things that you showed me in those dreams, I will live them to the best that I can. They close off in prayer. A simple closing off in prayer and the spirit of God moves. It's that place like you wouldn't believe. Now, those guys probably thought that God was blessing them. And he was. To me, God shut that youth camp down just for me. So mm. as soon as they came crying around to the altar again, I opened those doors, came in. And that was where the call of God and my surrendering to God really mixed together, came together. And ever since then, it's been my desire, Lord, whatever you want in my life, I know you've called me. Here I am. Wow, that's awesome. What a powerful testimony. What advice um, would you give a young person who's feeling the call of God or, or wanting to go uh, deeper in their relationship with God? They want to respond, but they're not exactly sure how or what they should do. What advice would you give someone like that? Yep. Growing up, when I, you know, from that age onwards, Pastor Slack, my pastor, Bishop Slack, as many of you would know him, was a huge influence in my life, in your pastor's life, and many of my generation. He was an absolute mentor to mentors to me. He was just a, a great man of God. And he used to always talk about that, you know, during his time as a young person, 
that he never had a blueprint that the next five years, this is where I'm going to be, or the next 10 years I'll be here. He said that God would open doors, and he realized if God opened a door, just walk through that door faithfully. And so for me, I took that as, well, that's, that's how I see it, unless God speaks to me. Otherwise, I felt that if God was going to open doors, go through the doors that God's going to open. And to me, the doors that God will open sometimes weren't always a clear, thus saith the Lord, a dream or God speaking to me in my prayer time. The doors that God was opening many times for me was my pastor coming to me and saying, or my youth pastor at the time saying to me, can you do such and such? Hmm. I saw that I was called. God. I knew that. I didn't know what the calling was. And I knew that if the man of God gave me a responsibility, I'm going to treat that as a call of God. Right. And so that's, that's why I first started getting involved in ministry. Anything that pastor would ask me or our youth leader at the time would ask me to do was an opportunity that I believed that God was giving me. And so I'll go through those doors knowing that, okay, if I can be faithful in this, then God will open up other doors. And I would say today to all those that feel the call of God, especially if you feel that anybody listening today, that if you feel there's been a specific time where God has spoken to you, I would strongly encourage every young brother or sister, keep a journal. It might be a diary. It might be electronic. It might be on your message, on your uh, notes, on your phone. But just keep a, a record of that time where you felt God calling you. Mm. The reason being, knowing that you're called by God is the first step. Knowing what God's called you to, that's another that's another step, right? Right. But first of all, you know God has called you. And, and one thing I've realized is that the enemy does not like people that are called by God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and discouragement weapons one of these tools to discourage you make us think hang on a second it's probably just your mind did that really happen i mean are you just big noting yourself but if you keep a journal you'll be able to say you know what no what i'm feeling discouraged at this season but i know that i am called it's not happening how i thought it is but i know that i'm called so keep a record because discouragement will come and the enemy will try to make you doubt your calling others in the church will make you doubt your calling there are insecure people there are jealous people people are people right Right. Uh, but knowing that you are called to me, most it's it's the foundation of the ministry that God's called you into, because ministry can be lonely, ministry can be discouraging, ministry ministry can have its challenges, and you can feel inadequate. But if you can always look back and say, you know what, when I was a, a drunk at the age of eighteen, I know that God called me. I have no doubts. I look back to that, and I know that I'm called by God. Amen. And I I have something similar. You know, when I was a young person, 16 years old, I was going in a different direction, not necessarily backsliding, but I was planning to go a different direction in my life. And and I had that distinct moment. And despite what happens, you know, despite what's going on with ministry, with the church, whatever, I've got that to fall back on because I know that that God has something for me. And um, yeah, that's so powerful. And to keep a journal, we just had... um, Sister Gina on the podcast, Gina Gretsch, and she was talking about how she had felt the call to preach, but didn't really have opportunities to minister. And she would write down the sermons that God had been given her with nowhere to preach them in her journal. And she would journal them. And then ultimately, she was you know, given the opportunity to minister and she was able to preach those same sermons that she had written down in her journal years before. So that is tremendous advice for for someone who is in the process of growing in their ministry. Yeah, so, wow. 
of speaking about and, and sort of in line with what you were talking about, where you were saying that, you know, you know your call, but you don't know exactly what to or exactly where, so on and so forth. I'm not sure how many people would know this, but you were the you were the pastor of the daughter work in Liverpool for a little bit, for a few years. And I was just wondering if you could talk to us about what that was like being the pastor of a daughter work and and if that prepared you for where you ultimately ended up. Uh, as you said, you know, when you're following the call of God, it's not always uh, written in the sky exactly where you're going, but, you know, walking through those open doors and being faithful. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit of what, what that was like and, and how that ultimately prepared you for where God would have you later down the road. Yep. Well, when they first started the daughter work in Liverpool, you know, there was a whole team that came together to work there, to get involved. And I'd also been involved in Campbelltown when it first started. I was excited because, again, I came to this church in 1984 as a child when there was two churches. So when Liverpool started, there was more than two churches now in Sydney. The vision had extended to several other churches. And so there was an excitement. And, and to be really honest with you, I had no desire or thought that I'd pastor that church. I was there to do whatever was needed to do. And the main jobs then were to put out the chairs and get it ready and occasionally preach if asked upon. Again, knowing that I was caught for something, I found that as our then associate pastor would give me the opportunities, that was confirming the call of God to do what is needed, right? Sometimes the need is the call. So those early days were excellent. We used to have service Sunday morning at POS, three o'clock in Liverpool, come back for the evening service. It was exhausting, hmm. but there was so much excitement and joy about it, especially when somebody came and got born again. Wow. It's like, you know, it's worth it all. And then it got to the point we became a, uh, we we're going to go to the Sunday mornings during the same times that POS was having service. And so, you know, you know, start praying, where do I go? But I was asked, would I pastor that church again? I had no, I had a passion for it. I had a passion for people. I love souls and I love to see God moving. I had no passion to pastor the church. I had a, pa a passion to see the church grow, but I was asked and I thought, well, I do believe God's in this as well. I was given a choice. So we prayed about it and, and Liverpool was fantastic. Those early days of having it, pastoring it as a daughter work, it didn't grow to the hundreds and it, we had our challenges, but there was strong unity. I mean, Pastor Paul, who's the pastor there now and Sister mm. Ollie, we worked strong together. My wife, amazing support, got involved, led the worship there. And it was so good. In saying all of that, I learned so much at Liverpool that I brought into the Gold Coast. And when I say I learned, I didn't learn from my successes alone. I learned a lot from my mistakes. Mm. Did I make mistakes? Yeah, I made mistakes. <laughs> I was new at all of this. You know, Pastor Slack was so encouraging. But I was new at all of this, and I found that sometimes a daughter work can be a lonely journey, not because the main church, the mother church, wasn't supportive. They were very supportive. I mean, like I said, Pastor Slack, Sister Gina, Pastor Stan today, they were so encouraging. Hmm. But it is a lonely road when you're at a church with 30 people knowing you could be at a church with several hundred. Yeah, right. It's worth it all. And I can honestly say it was the mistakes that I made that were discouraging at the time, but they didn't crush us. They prepared us for the next chapter that God had for us because I learned so much from, from the mistakes that we did make and thought and prayers later on, what could I do better and how can we address these issues differently? And 
And again, Liverpool, it's good to see they're having great, a great move of God there. It was an amazing training ground. And, and honestly, we, we're actually just cleaning out our cupboards. We're moving in a couple of weeks. And mm. it was just last week, we we're going through our filing cabinet, throwing a lot of things away. And we have a folder there, uh, the Pentecostals of Liverpool, as it was called then. Wow. Open it up. And it's got a lot of the things that we had put together. It, 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 it got us a little bit emotional. It's, it's an exciting event. When you look back, you think, wow, we've got our flyers there, our, <laughs> our proposal that we had. It just gave us so much joy. And I'm so grateful for those days at Liverpool. The two years that we got the pastor there, honestly, I'm so grateful that we we learned so much. We mm. really did. In 2011-12, so I think it was the end of 2011, leading into 2012, you felt led by God to take over a small church on the Gold Coast in Queensland. So you decided to abandon your friend, uh, your church in Sydney. <laughs> And, uh, and and you felt led by God to take over uh, a church in Queensland on the Gold Coast. And this was a small church. You weren't taking over a church of 50, uh, not even 40, not even 30. I mean, we're talking about a really small work, basically one family and yourself, your family. So this wasn't, you know, you leaving the POS where you were leading, I, I believe you were leading the small groups at that time and doing a tremendous job at that. Um it's not like you were leaving that to go somewhere, you know, to, to take over from another pastor who's already built up a work to, to the point where, you know, you just slide right in and take over pastoring, but you were starting basically from the ground up. Surely there's a, a story to that. What made you feel that you would leave your friend in Sydney, uh, your, <laughs> your church, the one you grew up in, to go out to uh, the Gold Coast? Yeah, well, we're on a mission trip. In Fiji, were you there? I didn't. I missed that one. Yeah, that was the only one I missed. I'm still spewing to to this day that I missed that one. But yeah, no, I missed the Fiji one. I just got to watch all of your guys' photos and videos. Well, that was October 2011. To back up for the last six months before that, listen, Pastor Stan is is a good friend of mine, but he is an amazing pastor, mentor. The church there was growing. You did not want to leave that church. Why would you want to leave that church? But for about six months, my wife and I were praying and we had no issues with anybody. Nobody had offended us. I mean, I wish somebody did, you know, to push us out. Everything was great. <laughs> and uh, great church, great pastor, great leaders. And But for that six-month period prior to Fiji, I really felt that God was calling me specifically at that time to pastor. And, and, I, and I knew and I had no idea where. I remember praying constantly. I won't name some of the states, but they're south of Queensland. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere, but please don't send me da 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 da. <laughs> Too cold, bad weather, I need sunshine. And so I'll be praying that, knowing that God was calling me to pastor a church, not knowing where at all. And I was comfortable and happy in Sydney. Anyway, we're in Fiji on this mission trip six months later. I'm still praying these things. And then I come into the room, I'm sharing a hotel room with Pastor Stan. And he, he turns to me one, one day there. He says, oh, did you hear so-and-so has left the church on the Gold Coast? There's no pastor there. Man, that was an arrow straight to my heart, to be honest with you, because literally the, earlier that year in January, my family came for a holiday to the Gold Coast, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and us. And my wife as well, all her families in Sydney, and you know, Lebanese family very close together. She said something to me in January. I'll never forget this, bro. She said to me, 
I could never leave my family or church in Sydney. But if God was going to call me anywhere, I think the Gold Coast is the only place I could move to. Oh, wow. So here we are in Fiji. And pastor says to me, this has happened. There's no pastor on the Gold Coast. It hit me straight to the heart. And I'm, for the next couple of days, there's only about two, three days to go. My prayer was for the work that God was doing as a mission team in Fiji. But Lord, are you calling me to the Gold Coast? Because it was affecting me. It really was. So we get to the airplane. I've shared this before, but it's a funny story, but it's true. I'm going up the stairs at uh, uh, Virgin Pacific and, and I'm praying under my breath because I'm afraid this mission trip's over now. So the reality of is the Gold Coast for me is hitting me hard. Right. I mean, I'm in my state that I know. I'm walking up the stairs, praying under my breath, Lord, is this you, is this you, is this you? Like, are you calling me? And I, I want to distract myself. So I pick up, I sit, take my seat and I pick up the Virgin Air, Airlines magazine to distract myself, open it up and the whole page there, it's an advertisement that says, are you thinking about relocating to the Gold Coast? <laughs> I mean, I, I got teary like, are you kidding me? Wow. <laughs> I've just done the work of God. I'm on a mission team. Well, it was a beautiful mission team, a great holiday too. <laughs> are you serious? So I came back to Sydney and, uh, yeah, and I said, I, I told Annette, said, hun, the Gold Coast needs a pastor. And that was all I said. Little did I know, she started calling her friends, pray for us. I think this might be God. Because I didn't want to talk to her about it. Because I said to the Lord, you're calling me to the Gold Coast. That means my family obviously is coming with me. You've got to speak to Annette. Because I know that one day there'll be tough times. And if I've said, we're doing this, then she can turn and say, why did you do this to us? But I said, Lord, if you speak to her like you've spoken to me, then she can only ever say, Lord, why did you do this? And it's not my fault. My hands are clean. Well, we spoke about it. And a week later, we spoke about it. And she felt the same thing. So I said, listen, if Pastor Stan says no, we're not going anywhere. If he says yes, we're going to go. He's my pastor. I'm submitted to him. And I take his voice as the voice of God. So we had our leadership quarterly interview. So I came in there. And, you know, we are good friends as well. But I'm easily submitted to his leadership and pastorship. So Sister Gina was there as well, and we had our interview. So I didn't want to say anything because I, I wanted to speak to him just alone. Sister Gina jokingly says in, the, in, our, in, in my interview, so what about the Gold Coast? <laughs> you take the Gold Coast. And she's not being serious. She goes, and she starts to laugh. She goes, you're not going anywhere. You know? <laughs> and she's laughing. Of course, I said nothing about the Gold Coast. But I hop in my car, and as I'm driving off, I'm like, I really need to speak to my pastor about this. I can't think otherwise. I call him, are you by yourself? Yes. So I came back to the church at POS and I said, bro, I'm going to be honest with you. When you said to me about the Gold Coast needing a pastor, it's hit me hard. I feel that God's calling me, but you're my pastor. Whatever you say is what I'm going to do. And he says to me, when we were in that hotel room and I said that to you about the, the Gold Coast needs a pastor, because I was actually just dropping the seeds in your heart because I think and I feel that you're the one that God's calling to the Gold Coast. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. You know, so three months later, bro, that was October, end of October. Yeah. January the 18th, we left Sydney and we came here to Queensland to the Gold Coast. And our first service on Sunday, we had 15 people and it grew the following week. Somebody had a baby. So <laughs> church growth at its finest. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You started out in a bit of a house church up there, I believe. Yes. Well, what they had when I came up here, because the first, I was the third pastor in a year and a half. The first pastor that came, he he, he had the, the courage to start, 
And he was heavy, but of course, when you lose two passes in a short period of time, you lose people, you lose momentum, lose hope. Right. Uh, these people want to remain UPC. Strong one is Pentecostals. And so they were hiring a whore that fitted 200 people. And it was $50 an hour. We had 15 people. You want to talk about a terrible atmosphere? Put 15 people in a 200-seater venue. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It, mm. It's not good. Sister Maria Peasley at the time, bless her heart, such a faithful woman of God, pillar to this church. She had a, a property she was renting. So it was one house, a hall in between, and another house where her son-in-law and daughter were living for their family. And so that room could fit 40 people comfortably. So we started using that as church, hmm. this little hall between these two houses. And so we were there for, I think, for two months. And then we had our installation service and we came upon the school hall that we're using now. And so we, we hired that hall and we've been there ever since. And it's grown, thank God. Yeah, awesome. So you, you touched on it a bit you know, throughout your story about God calling you to Queensland, to, to the Gold Coast. But I just wanted to, for our listeners, because so many people ask this question. It's a, it's a question that's asked consistently by young people, by older people, saints that have been in church for a couple of years, for decades. Um, how do you discern the voice of God? How do you discern that against your own voice? You know, it's like, hey, the Gold Coast is a nice place to live. I know it's far away from, from your family and away from everything that you guys knew, but it's not like, you know, God was calling you to some desert somewhere. <laughs> he's calling, he's calling you to a really nice place. But how do you, how do you determine whether that is, you know, a desire that you have or that this is actually God leading you and directing you to take this next step into what he has for, for your life? Well, first I'll say the longer you're walking with God, the easier it becomes to discern his voice. That's a growth thing. But for myself personally, and I know everybody can give a different view on this. This is just me. I have discerned the voice of God for me, for myself, as a quiet witness within my spirit. That I know it's it's a strong witness in my spirit, and it's going to give God glory. So, for example, coming to the Golgas for a holiday, this place is an amazing place for the for a holiday. To want to live here, never in my thinking. All my life, I want to live in Sydney, born and raised. Uh, go the blues. <laughs> uh, but for me, there's this, this witness in my spirit, for starters. Secondly, it doesn't contradict his word, the obvious. Right. Uh, thirdly, when I feel a, a strong witness in my spirit that God's speaking to me, I have mentors and leaders in my life that I go to. Uh, when I was in the Pentecostal of Sydney, I had my pastor, who I still go to now, by the way, Pastor Stan. That was a gauge for me. Am I hearing God? Or was it just my emotion? And I would bounce, you know, past. I feel that God's spoken to me. I feel there's this witness in my spirit. It, it, it keeps coming to me. It comes to me over and over again. Some of these times when God speaks to me, it comes out of nowhere. You know, it's not just a good idea that Jacob's having. It's a witness within my spirit. So I bounce it off some of the mentors that I have in my life. And I, I will say, for any young man, any young woman that feels a call of God, a sense of purpose in the ministry, you need to have godly men and godly women in your life to bounce ideas off. Amen. If you have accountability and submission, you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. You need to have firstly your pastor uh, as the man of God, as the woman of God, and other leaders that you know that aren't going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear. Right. So if I hear something from God and I run it past 
Pastor Stan at the time, and I said, Pastor Stan, I feel that God's calling me to do blah, blah, blah. And he turns around and says, that's crazy. It contradicts God's will and purpose for anybody's life, and it's sinful. Well, then thank God I ran it by him before I made some of the greatest mistakes of my life. Hmm. Secondly, uh, I know that God's spoken into my heart. I can't deny it. It's, it's a witness there. It's not my emotion, but in case it is my emotion, I'm going to take it to the man or woman of God to pray with me about and help me seek confirmation. Uh, in saying that, you need your pastor. And if you're in a church, young, young people, in your church, you have your pastor as the voice of God. And if there are other mentors in your life, your pastor needs to be aware of that mm. because what they tell you does not trump your pastor at all. He's the man, she's the woman of God that he's got to lead you. And if there are other people that speak into your life, it's a safe place to let your pastor always know because God is speaking through men and women of God and God is speaking directly to us. And discerning his voice again is different for myself. It's that, that witness within my heart that I just know. You, you, you just know it's of God. Right. If you're not sure, and you are, even if you are sure, take it then to the man of God and say, Pastor, speak to you over the phone, speak to you face to face. This is what I feel the Lord's leading me, speaking to me about. What do you think? And that's a safe place. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's so important to have those mentors, to have those people in your life, your pastor specifically, that is, that has the, the trump card, you know, that has the ability to tell you no. You need to have somebody in your life that can tell you no, mm. especially if you're going to be making big, life-altering decisions. So you've yeah, been in a... Sorry, I was going to say, and you need to submit yourself to the answer they give you. Because mm. the true man of God is not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what God's trying to already tell you. And it's going to be confirmed through the man or woman of God. And so if you don't like what they're saying, you, I, I personally, myself, I see that as the voice of God. Mm. You know, I see his word as his voice. I see the, the leadership, the, the past that he's given us is his voice for our lives. So therefore, when he doesn't say what you want to hear, know that if it's God's, God is speaking through him. If you submit to that, there are blessings that come with that. If you rebel against that, you take matters into your own hands. Yeah, and so true. I had something uh, happen to me a few years ago, a number of years ago now, where I felt that God was maybe leading me in a certain direction and brought that to uh, my pastor. And, and he said, well, he didn't necessarily confirm it and, you know, basically left it, left it up to me. But I'm going to be honest, I had started putting some eggs into the other basket and I was very, uh, very disappointed with the response. But at the end of the day, that's why you have a pastor. That's why you have someone there that can uh, give you that direction. And that transpired. And then we had made some decisions as a team that required me making sure that we made some transitions going from two services on a Sunday morning and night to multiple services. And uh, when we made that transition, the, the church just grew very quickly. And God has continued to have his hand on, on my life and on the church here. And so I'm grateful that even though I was disappointed for a number of weeks, I'm grateful that I did listen to my pastor because uh, who knows, and not saying that I'm anything big or that you're anything big or anything like that, but we're all connected, you know, and, um, and if one of us decides to step outside that covering, it can have a knock-on effect in, in the body of Christ. It can have a knock-on effect in the people that it affects, your close family, but also you know, it can impact what God is wanting to do in a city if you, yeah, uh, yeah if, you, if you're not uh, listening to the man and the woman of God in your life. 
Yeah, definitely. So mm-hmm. true. So the church in Queensland has grown. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we're not going to go into that too much, but I just wanted to let the listeners know that uh, you took over that church of the Gold Coast and you guys are averaging over a hundred per service now, right? I mean, you guys are well over a hundred and the church has constantly been growing. You've licensed some new ministers. You, you guys started a daughter church that is doing very well in, in Tweed Heads. Yeah. Um, so God is blessing your work up there at the Gold Coast. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's been so encouraging. There's been some tough seasons and I will say there's been some incredibly tough seasons, but just knowing that we're called being faithful to the call of God. And I just, as I was just preparing for this interview, it made me think how many people have been baptized and filled with the Holy ghost. And I don't say this boasting, but figures are what they are. And we've baptized close to hundred people and we've seen nearly 60 people filled with the Holy ghost. And that, that encourage, that's encouraging. Mm. It really, you know, it's, when we first came, I did have a lot of self-doubt. I do at times doubt myself as well, I suppose. That's an ongoing challenge we all have. But seeing what the Lord has done and where he's brought this church, it's been it's been an absolute blessing. What a journey. I mean, mm. what a journey. Yeah, it's been Loving awesome. It. I, I've had the privilege of being able to go up pretty much yearly, except for last year. Well, yeah, not last year. And just seeing the growth take place in, in the church has just been really fun to see and really encouraging and i'm always blessed when i go to the gold coast so i just wanted to as we're winding down this conversation i wanted to ask you what what drives you when it comes to ministry what is it that that is that thing that gets you going gets you out of bed in the morning and and and, and drives what you believe god is going to do through you Hmm. what drives me is people if i can be really honest with you when I, when I look at what the Lord's done for myself personally, Greg, I, I'll be really honest with you. I, I think to myself sometimes where the Lord's brought me from. I'm 46 uh, later on this year. And I told you we came to this church at eight years old, broken little kid with issues. The songs that we used to sing then, I like to sing to myself sometimes because I remember what the Lord did for me there. When I see people uh, and I see that the goodness of God, I know that when a, a broken life comes into the presence of God, it changes their life. And for me, I, I'm driven by the fact that I've over these last 20 something years of ministry, I've been able to witness God change people's lives. And it's some small part. Uh, I've been involved in being used by God in some small capacity to see lives changed. And I don't know. I just, I, I haven't lost that passion. I suppose I, I just, I'm grateful for what the Lord's done for me. I really, I can never be, there's a song we sing at church, the goodness of God, you know, that song. Mm, yeah. And every time we sing that song, I get emotional because it's God's goodness that drives me, what he's done in my life and what I'm seeing him constantly doing in people's lives. It blows my mind away that you can see someone coming to God so broken, so, you know, life's had its way, the world's had its way, the devil's had his way, but then you bring them into the presence of God and you see what the Lord is doing, uh, taking wounded souls and giving them a hope. It, It drives me and it's my passion. It really is. Yeah, and, and 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 it's uh yeah, and it's easy to to tell. Anytime you minister, you can see that passion coming through, the passion for the lost and, and seeing lives changed. Love your ministry, always been blessed by it. And uh yeah, like I said, that always comes through. You won't listen to a, a sermon by Jacob Caltibiano and the gospel is not preached 
and and some some passionate explanation about how God can change your life is not mentioned. And yeah, it's it's great being your friend and being able to see what God continues to do through your family up there on the Gold Coast. I just wanted to wrap up. I've been sort of guiding this conversation and asking these questions back and forward, but I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to share a word with the listeners. Anything that God's laid on your heart, um, you know, it's completely up to you. Whatever you feel like God has uh, for you to share with the listeners, I, I want to give you that opportunity as we finish up this conversation. Yep. There's a scripture that's really gripped my heart since I've been on the Gold Coast. It's, and I've shared this a lot to people outside of our church because this is what drives me week after week. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is he that calls you and will also do it. As I was saying before, knowing that you're called by God is so important and it's so vital. But the second part of that scripture is really my testimony. And I want every young person, anybody that feels a call, that has a passion for the things of God, to know this. It says, and that he will also do it. You know, we live in a world where we spend so many time, uh, so much hours in good hours trying to build our careers, get a good education, go to university, study, trying to make something of our lives that can make our lives comfortable and easier. And I encourage you to do that. The ministry is not a comfortable lifestyle. The ministry is not an ambition. The ministry is a calling. Mm. And God is the one that calls. And God is also the one that equips. God is also the one that gives us the tools whereby we can get the job done. Greg, I've sat on my bed the first the first six months. It was, it was after six months. I sat on my bed. I'm trying to be the rock for my family. And I sat on my bed and things were tough. Not in the church. I was missing Sydney. I was missing mm. my past. I was missing you, my friends here. And I sat on my bed and I said, Lord, this is so lonely. <laughs> I'm really missing it. I really felt I'm, I've got to be strong for my family, but I'm feeling a little bit Am I really in the right place? And I felt the Lord say this scripture to me and remind me, don't be so overwhelmed by the job of or the, the, the call of pastoring. Don't be so overwhelmed by the call of being involved in youth. Don't be, whatever the, the listener does for the kingdom of God, don't be so overwhelmed in how do I get this job done? Be more thankful today that God is the one that equips us for the calling that he gives us. You know, it's, if, if you know a builder, when an apprentice comes to do a, a, a trade, He's not told, come to the job place. Here's the, here's the house. You need to work on the house. He's given the, the tools to do the job that he has to do, right? And when God calls us, we can be assured tonight today that if he's called you, he's going to give you the tools to get the job done. Hmm. If God's called you, then he's anointed you. If God's called you, then he has faith in you to do the job. And you can rest in the calling that if there are doors that the Lord's opening up for you, just walk through those doors. Be faithful in whatever God's opened up for you, whether it's a pulpit ministry, whether it's behind the scenes ministry, whatever it might be. If God's opening a door for you, when you walk through that door, that's the door that God's called you to. He's giving you everything you need to get the job done. Don't be so, and it's easy for us to be focused on how I'm going to do this. And I, I, I'm not educated. I'm Moses. I started, right? I lack, I haven't got money, I haven't got an education, or how do I balance ministry and life up? No, no, no. If God's called you to something, he's equipped you to do it. And if the Lord shuts a door in your life, don't stand there trying to kick it down. Move on. Because there's going to be seasons that we get discouraged. There's going to be seasons where somebody else is going to prosper. I was in Cairns recently, and I, and I told the congregation there at the turning point in Cairns, 
that when somebody else uh, prospers in ministry, a church prospers, you ought to rejoice with them because you're also succeeding by the mere fact that somebody else is succeeding because your season will come. Just keep being faithful. Know that God is not slack concerning his promises. God doesn't lack anything to get the job done. If God's called you, he's anointed you. If God's spoken a word into your life, it won't happen when you think it's going to happen. It will happen when God wants it to happen. Hmm. Be faithful in those little opportunities. God will open up doors for more and enjoy it. Enjoy your walk with God. So often we see ministry and people's callings as this great heavy burden that's, you know, dreary and dull and lifeless. No, friend, the call of God is the most exciting thing that you could live in this world. I'm telling you now, I, I, was, I never had an ambition to pastor a church. I never, I mean, the work that I did was all different types of warehouse work, youth work, transport. God always promoted me. I never saw myself pastoring. But now that I'm called to this part of life, I love the ministry that God has got for me. I love the journey that I'm on with God. And, and I think it was T.D. Jakes that said it. So often we know that God's calling us, so we see the finished product, but we don't enjoy the journey there. Hmm. Enjoy the journey. My family hates driving to Sydney. They want to fly. It's a 10-hour drive. They don't, long, they don't like long drives. Me, I love long drives. The reason why I love long drives, I love the scenery. I love the journey. I've got my favorite places where I stop for my steak sandwich. I've got my favorite places where I like to stop and have a look at the views. I'm enjoying every time I've driven to Sydney, which has probably been about maybe 30 times since I've been here. Wow. I love the journey. I love it's exciting, right? The call of God is a journey. A walk with God is a journey. Enjoy your walk with God. This is the best life of all. This is nothing compares to your walk with God. And whether you know what God's called you to do or not, just be grateful that today you're saved. He's delivered you. He's given you a hope. He's given you a joy. I look back at my life at this age and I see where I was at 18 years old. And I've got to ask myself, if I never came to God, if I, if I tried to do this journey in my own will, my own way, where would I be right now? Would I just be a frustrated saint? Would I be a saint? But because I've been able to enjoy my walk with God, man, this journey's got so many, so many great moments that you look back at and think, wow, what a life. It's so exciting living for the Lord. And outside of a ministry, the greatest gift that we have is the gift of salvation. The greatest life that you have isn't your calling. It isn't, it isn't in your ministry. It's waking up, having a walk with God, having the experience of the Holy Ghost, the scriptures that are alive in us today. Enjoy your walk with God. Every young person there, just keep following God. Keep walking. Be faithful to the man or woman of God that he's called you to. Love what God's doing in your life. And just grow as a Christian, as a believer. And then God will open up doors. Enjoy it. He's faithful. And he's called you. And he's going to also equip you. That was a fun and enlightening conversation with my friend. I hope you got something out of it that you can apply to your life today. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week, and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for your time today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Hacker Podcast. <laughs>